So I want to take you back uh, to this spring. Uh, I'm not sure how your spring unfolded. Like many of you, we hit about the middle of March and all went on lockdown. It brought different things to the life of the church, to how we managed uh, even the team, tried to better serve you. And then, like many of you, we had our own circumstances that added to the pile. So for us, for Jane and me in our home, uh, we had a unique experience, maybe not to all of you. In fact, some of you may have had this too. About the middle, I think it was the middle towards the end of April, we had a couple of heavy rain days. I don't know if you remember those or not, but we live in a bi-level, and so our lower level is half of our living space. The upper level is where most of our life is spent, but especially when we're raising kids the lower level, but it's finished. We'd actually just finished it in December because our kids were coming back for a visit. And uh, during that four and a half inches of rain, water began to join, and I created an indoor pool in my lower level. Now, it wasn't the first time we'd had this happen, and I would say the stress level went up, the anxiety went up, but in this particular time, we were able to salvage some of the flooring and even just decided we've dealt with so many things mitigating for so long, we took the plunge and decided to have the major work done that you do where someone comes in and they literally jackhammer through your foundation and build drainage systems underneath all that. Now, they hadn't gotten there yet when the, towards the end of May, we had another series of about five inches of rain. I think some of you would remember that too. Now, I had a very unique experience this time because we had pulled away some of the flooring and some of it we just pulled back from corners. So it was actually on a Sunday, I had finished speaking, I went home, the rains were coming, and I thought I should just check downstairs, see how it's going. I was about to have a week off to be home. Well, I started to notice that water was coming in by the door. And I thought, you know what, I can, I can deal with this. So I began to put uh, towels around that, and it kind of stopped the flow at that point in that area. I thought as the day went on, I should keep checking around the lower level. And pretty soon the front bedrooms began to show that they were desiring to spew out water as well in the corners. And I began to find new ways. And in my great wisdom, I thought, you know, I don't have much to absorb this stuff. I'm trying to pull the carpet back. So in my wisdom, I went out and bought more carpet padding just so it would absorb the water, being the brilliant tactician that I am. Now, as the day went on, those began to get more full. I began to cry. I began to try to find new things to go around the house. And then what I found was as the day went on, I could find out where every vulnerability in my lower level was because the more the pressure came in, the more new spaces emerged with water. I hope you're feeling my pain right now because believe me, it was one of the longest days of our lives doing all this, not be in competition with the soap opera. I just said days of our lives. That's where my mind went. So anyway, the water keeps coming in. We finally get to it one in the morning and I've given up. I don't think I can hold this back. We go to sleep, we get up very early, and the entire lower level is now submerged. Not deeply, but you know, an inch or two, and everything's ruined at this point in time. Now, I tell you this not to feel sorry for me, though I welcome that as well, because it was, it was one of those joyous occasions. But it was kind of a parallel to me of understanding life in this time, because what I realized was, and they call it hydrostatic pressure, it's the idea that all this water builds up and it doesn't have a place to go, and the more it builds up, eventually it finds the path of least resistance and it shows itself. And I say that because as we've been in this season, I think any of us might say, or most of us might say, yes, I know how to manage, but it's been so much I've had to manage pain and anxiety and fear and confusion in ways I never have before. Because when there's that much pressure, you find out every single 
vulnerability. Now, I tell you this, as you've asked for us to talk about anxiety, as one who's combated this really most of my life, in fact, I'm prone to anxiety. I had a counselor some years ago tell me, if this is the threshold where you become overwhelmed with anxiety, most people live here, and then things pile up, and they can get close or even go over. He said, I just want you to understand, you live here. I was like, well, thank you. And what he was saying was, you're prone to this. You have a disposition. You have things that cause you to be more anxious. Now, I don't want to mistake this and tell you everything is spiritual and it's only spiritual. In fact, I would tell you there are lots of things that have even helped me and I think helped many of us that aren't of a spiritual nature. For example, anxiety can be caused by deficiencies in our very chemistry. People can have low levels of vitamin B or vitamin D. They can have thyroid issues. They have other things. Like we can't just take anxiety and say it's all spiritual, it's all based on my life and how I live. It can be all sorts of things. So we say, you know what, it's great to have a holistic approach. We should deal with the medical side of this. We understand that there are cognitive things, ways that we think that cause problems. And we go to counselors to help us sort through that. And they help with anxiety. We understand that one out of two of us in our lifetimes will have a mental illness, meaning that we will battle this as literally a mental illness. It'll be a larger degree of wrestling with anxiety. And in case you don't know, during this season, guess what's up significantly? Mental illness. Because all of those vulnerabilities are coming to us in new ways that we don't know how to manage. And so we say those are all important facets of how we address this huge issue of anxiety. Now, having said that, I'm not trying to give an exhaustive approach. What I want to do today is very much look at it spiritually, and my hope is we can plummet into a little deeper area of what might be sources of anxiety. It's a beautiful thing in the Psalms. The psalmist says, as deep cries out to deep, there's this picture of like a waterfall and the depth of that coming in, but there's also the picture of this deep sea and that God is in the depth of that, in the depth of who we are, he meets us. And so as I've been praying, as I've been asking, as I want to share a bit of my own journey spiritually as it relates to anxiety, I'm trusting God will meet us in a deeper place. So I simply want to invite that and let you know I'm praying for that. So some of this is personal in how I'm going to share, but I want to begin simply in the scriptures because in case you don't know, scripture actually offers and God himself offers great encouragement and help as it relates to anxiety. Now, I want to take you to Jesus and one of his teachings. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, one that we call, it's kind of a central teaching. He teaches a lot of pieces in here. And I just want to show you one excerpt. But I want to tell you this. Do you know that Jesus gives a lot of commands? They're called imperatives. He's saying, do this, don't do this. But the one he gives the most is negative. Don't or do not. And guess what it is? It's do not fear, do not worry. This is actually the most things that Jesus speaks about. So I want to encourage you just by saying, if you're anxious or fearful, guess what? That's why Jesus talks to us about this, because we are most prone to this. And wouldn't it follow that in the most kind of confusing, chaotic, stressful time, we would potentially be the most anxious? So I want you to hear his words, and they're beautiful words, because he begins with this command he says so often, I tell you, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Now, if you're like me and you read this, we have a couple of tendencies we can have. One of them is it's a command. So we say, if I don't follow the command, I'm being disobedient and God is disappointed with me. We might even say we're sinning. So there's oftentimes this teaching that because God says things like, 
do not be anxious, that he's saying, if you are, you're sinning. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been told don't be anxious and thought, that's not helpful at all? (laughs) Oh, don't be anxious. I had no idea I shouldn't be anxious. Thank you for telling me it's gone. And so the last thing I want to do is have us read this and go, well, Jesus said don't be anxious about your life. Now, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't be anxious, so there must be something wrong with you. Join with me, it's not that easy. And I don't believe Jesus is saying this as an admonition. I think he's pleading with us as an encouragement. Hey, listen, I know there's a lot you worry about. I want to help you don't worry. And he goes on. He doesn't just say, don't worry about your life. He gives handles to this. Don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or about your body or what you wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's trying to give a picture here of so much of what we worry about. It might not be as important as we think it is. But he goes on from here. He talks about the birds of the air. He says, listen, they are clothed and fed. And then he says, you know what? If you worry about it, it doesn't help, which we all do understand, don't we? Listen, how many of you added time to your life because you worried? You know, I I got a lot more out of today because I just worried all day. It really helped me. And he's trying to help us with this thing. Then he goes to another place. Hey, listen, God even clothes the flowers. And then he goes, you realize that they're clothed more beautifully than Solomon. Now, Solomon is the wealthiest person in history by this time of history. Jesus is saying the guy with the most money and the most stuff isn't clothed more beautifully than God does flowers. All he's trying to say is, listen, God loves you. You can trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. He gives this final statement, you know, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. This idea that if we posture ourselves in the right way, maybe we won't live in this. And unfortunately, we look at it like a prescription. Well, if I seek the kingdom first, the anxiety goes away. But what he continues to say through all of this is, Trust me, trust me, trust me. And I want us to go there. I don't want to start there, but I want us to realize much of what we've been taught is true. This is very true. I don't mean there's any question. Jesus is encouraging us, man, I don't want you to worry. I'm here. There's much more important. But living in that is really difficult. And Jesus isn't the only one who says this. Paul writes one of our earliest leaders to the church. And even if you haven't been around church much, and especially if you have, this is often the passage that gets quoted when we're anxious. And we look at it like a formula. Because he says this, listen, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, which goes over all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. And then he actually goes on and he says, listen, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is wonderful and excellent, I want you to think about that. And then he says, the God of peace will be with you. He moves from the peace of God in in request to the very God of peace in presence. It's a beautiful picture. So do you ever wonder why you're still anxious when you try it? Have you ever been in that place? We thought, listen, I gave God these petitions. I'm asking him to meet me, and somehow I am still worried. I mean, could any of you be honest and go, I I still get anxious? Because I would. I'd go, I love those passages. And I have had moments I experienced that, and I'm not saying at all they're not true, but I'm saying what if there's something deeper in us that we either don't realize or just don't operate in that might be keeping that from happening? What if it's really impossible for us to give these prayers because of things we want or live for or desire? 
And what I want to take you to is just two simple verses to consider this, that there's a deeper issue on why this is so hard. And I'm being honest about my own journey. And this, as an anxious person, has been a lifelong journey. I made great strides in it in recent years. And then I would tell you, at least if you're anything like me, during this pandemic and all of its surrounding problems, my normal skills and answers haven't worked like they used to. And what I came to was, there's just a lot more vulnerability in the building of my life at the foundation than I know. And the water's coming in under all the pressure that I didn't get. And I think there's a deeper place God wants to take us that I am journeying in on my own and finding something in that I've needed more of. And that's where I want to take us today. In fact, where I want us to go is at the central really kind of understanding of what Jesus gives to his disciples that I think undergirds all of this in kind of the posture in all of this. In John 15, this is Jesus with his closest friends the night he's going to be betrayed. He says a bunch of things, but I want to take you just to one simple verse that I think gives us a foundation, and I want to take you to what has been the most significant psalm in my life that I think underscores this. He says this to his disciples, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do no thing. Now, what he simply is pointing out to us, you understand a vine and branches. Branches, what do they get? All of their nurture, all of their source and all of their life from? The vine. A branch on its own can't do anything. It can't. And so what we would say is we must live in a place of deep connection and sourcing with Jesus in order to function. The simple way a Christian says it, a follower of Jesus, is everything in my life produces nothing without him. That's what we're saying. He is central. I want you to keep that in mind. I also want to remind you, though, it, if we take this in the natural, you realize you can do a lot of things apart from Christ, right? You can get a lot done in your job. You can do a lot of things for your family. You can do a lot in all sorts of places. So this is a spiritual reality. It means in the flesh, on your own, you can accomplish things. But that's a very different way to live independently from who Jesus is in complete dependence. And the kind of things we do are very different and that have lasting life from what we do independently. You see the difference, right? I hope you do. Independent, dependent. Now, let me take you to this psalm because it gives us the foundation of what I want to take you through in my own life and experience. The psalmist says this, You alone, Lord, are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Is there anything apart from the Lord that brings life to the psalmist? Uh, just a clue, it says alone. So I'm going to ask the question, is there anything that brings life to the psalmist apart from the Lord? Try, like, I want you to have a little more fervor. Is there anything that brings life apart from the Lord? No. Now just let that sit for a minute. I let it sit, and it's hard to let it sit. Because there's a lot of things I want to do on my own. This is a statement that isn't just, you are my portion. It's that you are more than enough. Who you are is more than I could ever want. One of my other favorite psalms is Psalm 73. The psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there on earth is nothing I desire beside you. My flesh, my heart cry out, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, God is all I need, God is all I want, and he even gives me strength in all of this mess. 
Now, I realize that may sound simplistic, and I want to take you on my own journey through this, and it has to go back to growing up and something that happened in my life at a fairly early age. So if you're anything like me, by the time you hit middle school life, oftentimes you're starting to find your stride on things, things that you find bring you life and energy and meaning and purpose. You find things that you're maybe better at than other things. And so for me, one of the things I discovered was not only did I like to play the guitar, but I actually had some aptitude for it. Sorry, I just turned on my tuner, I didn't need it. So what I did when I got into middle school was I started, I convinced my parents, first of all, to get me a guitar, it was so funny. My, I wanted to play drums and my dad said no, because they're too loud. So he started me on the classical guitar and then I found my way into the electric and burned that whole drum thing. Because man, you can turn an amp up louder than any acoustic instrument you know of. So I started playing on my own. I, uh, do any of you even know what a record player is? I'm hoping some of you do. So back in the days I was growing up, we had records, and I, would, I loved Rush. It was one of the bands I loved. I'd put these on, put the needle down on a song, and I would start to work it out. So I'd start working out. Great tunes, huh? And it was just a lot of fun. And then I started working on other songs and other bands that I loved. You know? All sorts of things. And then I found I was finding a stride in this and I enjoyed it and I got good affirmation for it. I felt better when I played. And I started finding other things. I found other guitar players I knew. In fact, one of the things I still love to do here is there's this thing called volume swells that, you, that I learned to do from one guitarist. It's when you, you hit a note and then you slowly pull up the, spot, the volume. And you can watch, anytime we're playing up here, I usually look at the worship leader and they get totally annoyed when I'm just going. But I found a lot of purpose in that. And then I found out, you know what? I want to be better because good's not good enough. I need to be better than this. So I started finding guitarists that played better and faster, people like Al Miola, and I learned their kind of principles, things like they would just sit and practice. And then I learned things like arpeggios. Those even sound cool. It's hard. Once I get going, I want to just keep going. You know, it's like, oh, am I giving a message right now? Because I can just play for a while. Here was at the core, though, of what was difficult. Somewhere along the way, I didn't feel like I was good enough. I believed that when other people won, life was competitive and I lost. And then it got to the point where I believed when others won, it just reminded me I was not enough. And playing the guitar became one of the many ways I learned to compensate for that. Independently, I need to find something I'm good at so I can feel better when life doesn't go well. Now, what happened was in my adult life, God began to bring these things back to mind through a very long extended time with kind of a, a, a spiritual helping person. I even had a vision of this, of going to the guitar and playing it to compensate for my life. And I, I put this doorway here to kind of give you a picture of wanting to go into God's presence, but I wanted to bring the independent identity there. 
In fact, what I really wanted to do is have God meet me back here and say, would you just make better what's here independently of you? Could you help me be okay here? The guitar was just one expression of it. It wasn't all of it. It was an image of the way I'd learned to live. And I would tell you, I can still carry those things in life. So when I pray things like, here's my prayer and petition, it's God, would you come back here, right here at this chair where I am and make this better? I want to feel better right here independently of you. And this is the crazy part. What God began to show me, and it was really simple, was to just set it down. Was to go, you actually have to renounce this and set it down and come to me without these things. And let me love you right here. I think you can tell it was powerful. I want to help you with this today because I don't think I'm alone. You know, in my chair, it was compensating. But I kind of wonder what your chair is. What might be the sources of your anxiety that are your independent way of living? You know, is it sitting at this chair and going, God, I want to petition you that life would be better. My career would go better than it is. I want to be more impressive and I want to be more regarded well, and I want to move up into the right. Make that better so I can feel better about myself. Do that independently of you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, uh, you know, for you, maybe it's really comfort. You know what, God, I don't want to have to have any difficulty or struggle or conflict. Could you just make that go away? One of the common things we pray for today is that there won't be division. And that's code for no one will disagree with me. Do you know we got to set that aside? You need Jesus to love you and people to love you whether we agree or not. You can't say I got to have this too. It helps me to think about it this way. And I'm telling you, this is an ongoing process in my life. I want to get to the place where I'm on the other side of the door saying you, Jesus, alone are my portion. I want to live in that place. And to do it, I've got to set things down. I need to say I renounce. I let go of, I set aside, I renounce What's at this chair? And I, and I don't know what it is for you in your life. Some of us here, in the midst of all this stress, you're single. In your isolation and loneliness, you're like, God, you've got to fix that. You know, I, I'm not saying it doesn't want to help you. Maybe you just got to go, God, I let go of it. I renounce my need to not be alone. And I'm going to come to you whether I'm alone or not. I got to go through the door to get to you and renounce that. Maybe you are a young couple. Believe me, I ache for so many of you that are raising kids right now and you have added things in the midst of this. You don't even know what it's like to be alone again. You don't know what it's like to have a moment to yourself. You take your kids with you when you go use the bathroom. Come on, that is difficult. But imagine if you have to say, God, whatever this season's like, I I let go of it. I want to be yours whether I get to be alone or not. Maybe your marriages are struggling because those things are coming up. The surface is bubbling. And you go, God, even the thought of what marriage will look like, I'm going to leave it here. That doesn't mean you don't care. It means it's not God and you don't go come fix it, come through the door and fix it so I can be okay. I hope you're getting a picture of what I mean. What I I kind of envisioned in our time today is uh, taking you through a little bit more of an experience of this, of renouncing and of going through the door. 
going through the door where you just get to sit in his presence without these other things that you go, I thought that had to get better so I could have, be okay. But I'm actually going to renounce this. Now, I can tell you this as a pastor. It's, it's the, I'm sure all of you have lots of stresses. Did you know it is not easy to be a pastor right now? In all the years I've ever been involved in ministry, I've never seen a time that people are more ready to tell me what they disapprove of and what they don't agree with. And the crazy part, and I'm saying this actually out of some hope to to shake things a little bit, I've never seen a time when people have been more protective of their political leaders and more assaultive to their ministry leaders. It's just weird. But guess what? My saying that doesn't change it. Guess what I need to leave back here? God, whether people like me or not, whether they agree or not, I set it down. I'm just going to be in your presence. Whether any of that changes, whether I can convince anyone to see differently. It was a crazy thing uh, when I went through this initially. This real, it was a long experience to get here. You know, I, I had to literally set the guitar down and it was a symbol to me, but it was also a reality that, you know, I rely on a lot of individual identity from it. So in my mind, I can't describe it any other way than this, God let me go, kind of brought me through this door as I set things down and sat at Jesus' feet. I, could, I literally felt being in the presence of God. The crazy part was after I sat a while, I could see behind Jesus and there was another guitar there. It was so beautiful. It's like he said, listen, I don't want you to play this have identity, I want you just to enjoy playing it with me. It was a different experience. And I want to lead you really in a sense of worship and reflection. Just, it's an old song called All Who Are Thirsty. I'm going to sing the verse over you. I'm going to ask you to sing the chorus with me, which is just come, Lord Jesus, come. But I'm going to begin just by playing. And I wonder if the Lord doesn't want to show you what are some of those things you're sitting back in the chair of identity going, this has to get better for me to be okay. That today God's saying, renounce it and set it down. And I'm going to invite you to do that as I kind of just play. And then as I sing and as we get to that aspect of inviting Jesus to come, I want you to picture yourself walking through the door and just sitting. Nothing's better, nothing's fixed. But what you're saying is, Jesus, you are more than enough. If none of these things change, you're more than enough. So I want you to even close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. I'm going to play a little bit in the quiet. I want you to begin to ask him, what are the things I need to let go of and renounce? I want to just invite you even in that to It'll be, it might be something you say to him. It might be something you say in your own mind. God, I let go of this. But do that now. Oh 
not for a moment of emotion, but for a infusion of your spirit and your presence. Holy Spirit, come and fill us fresh. Holy Spirit, come and find those places, those cracks, those broken parts of our lives that we try to live independently. God, help us to renounce them and to live in the light of you whether they ever change or not. Whether parents and kids are restored, whether marriages are or not, whether anything changes, God, let us let go and say we're yours. Whatever that means, we're yours. And God, I pray we would find our peace and our hope in you and it would cause us to pray and to live differently. God, that when we make petitions and requests, it would be saying that we are yours on this side of the door.
not ours on the other. And I'm asking this will be a help and an infusion in a time of vulnerability and anxiety. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.